I'm testing the microphone. This is the voice I'm going to be speaking at and the volume I'll be speaking at. Andy. This is the voice that I'm going to be speaking in and the volume that I'm going to be speaking at. Really? And I'm often a bit quiet, <laughs> um, so I'll try and speak up a little bit. How good. Yeah, all right, I'll do. Talking about stuff, talking about things, talking about you, talking about me, it's not a wild country. And we are celebrating, it is Canberra. Conversations in the capital. Hello, my name is Henry. Welcome to Canberra. Conversations in the Capital. Today, inside the Mulligan's Flat Woodland Sanctuary, I am joined by two of the Nature Reserve's rangers, Andy O'Meara and Millie Sutherland Saints. Passionate about the conservation of nature, Andy and Millie develop and present tours and events within the sanctuary. Working with a variety of different organizations and volunteers, they continue on the work of many before them, maintaining the woodlands, restoring its ecosystem, and communicating their knowledge to anyone who is keen to listen. With a mantra of restore, transform, and inspire, Andy and Millie continue to research and advocate for the beauty of Australia's native woodlands. Folks, how are we both doing today? Yeah, good. Thanks for having us. No, of course. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. This is uh, it's really nice to be out here having a conversation about uh, what we do. Definitely. Yeah, I guess before we get started, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we're meeting on today, the Ngunnawal people. Um, we've been walking in the elders' footsteps, both past, present, and those emerging for six years now five mm. years and and do just slightly less yeah about, about four years i think yeah yeah so, yeah. so we uh, owe a lot of what we do to the um animal community absolutely and you mentioned we had a nice walk before this chat and we did we had a nice walk around the land you've both shown me some marvelous flora and fauna on these trails we're currently sitting inside the wool shed tell me about the significance of this building this is actually one that is from the era where this whole landscape was used for um, grazing farming, so mm-hmm. mostly sheep around this area. And so while this wasn't the one that was originally on this site, it came from a few kilometres down the road. Mm. There's a picture in the corner where you can see a big truck um, with this huge thing perched on the back of it as it's being moved into the sanctuary, a meeting spot for a lot of like tours and um, volunteer events and things like that. It's, it's got a cool vibe. I quite like it. No, absolutely it does. You've got all these posters around. <laughs> yeah. And... We often have a possum that lives in the corner. His <laughs> name's Helmet because he sleeps in a helmet. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> Sometimes mice in here. So, you know, everyone's welcome. <laughs> that's... That's a really cool story, the uh, moving the woolshed over. I, I didn't know that. Mm. Tell me more about the actual history of this place, because this area was established as a nature reserve in the late 90s, right? Yeah, so I actually think that the uh, the woolshed story kind of ties into the history of Mulligan's Flat a little bit in that uh, when European settlers came to Australia, they saw boxgum grassy woodlands as uh, really nice, big, flat areas that are essentially perfect for agriculture once they were cleared yeah and um you know that agriculture was generally hooved animals uh, animals that aren't native to this landscape and those hooves those animals overgrazed and really compacted the soil around here so in terms of uh, mulligan's flat it was protected back in 1995 uh, quite a few uh, sort of nature-oriented groups from around the ACT put their names on a on a report that suggested that, it, that this area be uh, protected by state, commonwealth and territory legislation. So we're really happy to uh, have this place nice and heavily protected. And it wasn't until 2008 that we actually got our predator-proof fence up. Oh. Um, so without that predator-proof fence, 
I don't think we'd be able to do a lot of the really good work that we do in here. Would you agree, Millie? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Should we talk about the fence? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to take that one? Talk about the fence. Yeah. So, um, as Andy mentioned, we've got a predator-proof fence around the outside. It was uh, around 485 hectares. And a hectare, for those who don't know hectares, it's two football fields worth. (laughs) (laughs) Um imagine 485 times two football fields. <laughs> um, yeah. That's our, what we call the original sanctuary or the um, northern exclosure. And then in 2018, we actually put another 12 kilometres of fencing around our next door neighbour reserve called Gururu. Mm. Um, so now we're protecting about 1,600 hectares of um, what's called boxgum grassy woodlands, which is classified as a critically endangered ecosystem federally. So really important that we are protecting this area. It's a lot of football fields. Well, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I actually met the both of you for the first time many years ago, and you were both undergoing some work pretty lateral to this, I'd say. (laughs) Uh, Tell us more about yourselves and what has led you both to this point that we're at today. I think the, I think the, the funniest part about our working relationship is that uh, we actually uh, met w- are working as swimming teachers yeah. <laughs> a, long, a long time yeah. ago. Oh. Yeah, um, and then we uh, we moved across to uh, to, to Questicon, which is the uh, National Science and Technology Center, and we worked there on a on a spiders exhibit together. And uh, that was great because we really came into our own, I think, in terms of science communication and um, learning about connected ecosystems and that sort of stuff. And then uh, Millie would go on to um, continue her work out here at Mulligan's Flat, and I, I followed her a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah, <laughs> basically Andy got me the job at Spiders. I was petrified at sp- of Spiders before I started. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, very much in glad that I did and, like, Definitely enjoyed it. And then when I um, started working here, uh, I knew that we'd be looking for more guides in the future. And I knew Andy was a great science communicator through the work that we'd done at um, Questacon together. So, yeah, just kind of gave him the hint. Oh, maybe you should start volunteering. Return the favour. Return the favour a little bit. Uh, yeah, maybe is. we'll see right. how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, you're right. It is important to, uh, to note that we both volunteered here. Um, yeah. n- neither of us walked into jobs here. We both volunteered here. And quite very passionately, I think, um, put put in the hours, put in the time. Yeah, we, we were rewarded as a as a result of that. Like you've said to me, you've always valued the volunteers and the citizen scientists within the sanctuary and the work that they do. Tell me, how important are they towards the conservation and continuation of Mulligan's Flat oh, as a whole? They're just integral to what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think at the moment we've got over 300 volunteers signed really? up on our um, database. Ooh. Not all of them are active, but um, yeah, it's still it's still really exciting, and you know we get more people signing up all the time. So if you are interested in <laughs> doing some volunteer work in nature, just look up our website mulligansflat.org.au, and there's a little volunteer tab there that you can sign up under. But one of I guess like the biggest, um, most exciting projects that we get volunteers to help with is the echidna surveys that happen once oh. a year. So we basically have probably about 60 volunteers kind of given different sections to walk through. And if we find an echidna, we mark it, count it, do that for two weekends in a row, and then get the numbers from that survey of how many we got. <laughs> that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's really fun. Have you ever taken, like, like I guess, shots from above? To, to, to see everyone spread out and no and that would be cool if we had like no. a drone though generally it's just because we like line up in a big long line about like maybe 10 meters apart from each other yeah um so we often just take photos down the line and that 
it's like Aww. really cool everyone oh, together yeah. absolutely it is quite extensive too i mean uh Almost every inch of the northern disclosure gets checked. Yeah. Um, so when you consider 485 hectares All the football fields. and uh, yeah. 60 volunteers just sweeping up and down, yeah. up and down, <laughs> counting every uh, every individual they find, yeah. it's pretty full on. Yeah. But sometimes they're really quick. They'll finish for lunch. <laughs> they're really good. Speed run through the chipotle. Yeah. That's it. Tell me more about the tours themselves and if you have any particular favorites. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Twilight Tours are our absolute bread and butter out here. Uh, yeah. They were the first tours that we started rolling out. And uh, initially, it was actually one tour a month. Oh. So, one tour every every four weeks. Um, but as demand grew up until this summer, we've uh, actually got four tours a week. People are really, really keen to get out here. And a Twilight Tour is exactly what it sounds like. You come <laughs> out here at night and one of our guys will take you spotlighting for endangered animals. And in fact, animals that um, you potentially wouldn't see anywhere else in the wild on mainland Australia except in captive populations. Uh, animals like the eastern betong, the eastern quoll, uh, bushstone curlews. And i, I, I got to be honest, when I started volunteering here and uh, my guide said, cool, we're looking for eastern betongs today, I'd never heard of a betong until that point because they've been gone from the landscape on mainland Australia for 120 years. Yeah, wow. it's pretty full on. But uh, look, it's not just Twilight Tours that we do. We do do family night walks, which are kind of a cut down version of that. One of the tours that I'm really passionate about is our Hollow Homes Tour. Oh, yeah. It's a, a school holiday program, but we actually have a, a nearly 10 meter tall pole with a camera on the end of it. And we can walk around finding uh, hollows that animals live in. Because, mm-hmm. of course, around 30% of Australian mammals require hollows to, to survive. And about 15% of Australian birds, which is a, which is pretty significant, will find the hollows. And we'll use this camera to peek inside and see what's living in them. And I think that's a really, that's kind of a, a view into their world that people don't normally get to see. That's some really cool insight. It's really cool that you mentioned the Eastern Baton and the Eastern Quoll because a lot of that is now here because of the reintroducing situation, right? The, your partnership with the A&E Fenner School yeah. introduced a lot of different species back into Mulligan's Flat, the Baton and the Quoll in 2012 and 2016 respectively. How valuable have these releases been for this nature reserve? Yeah, um, it's all about we're trying to piece back the puzzle that has been completely destroyed of this ecosystem (laughs) so basically white people really messed it up (laughs) and we're just slowly over time trying to um yeah find those puzzle pieces put them back together some of them we don't actually know what they are because they've been gone for so long um the way we actually found out about what was missing from this ecosystem or this landscape is by looking at uh what do you call it when um so basically owls they can't process fur or feathers or bones. Okay. Pellets. Yeah, yeah, pellets. Yeah, pellets. That's what I'm looking for. So they bring that up and that normally like breaks down, you know, in, in the landscape. But mm-hmm. um, in caves, they were almost preserved. So we actually um, had researchers go into caves and collect these owl pellets from, you know, 100, <laughs> 200 mm-hmm. years ago and yeah. like go through and look at the bones and um, do DNA analysis and um, work out. They basically came up with this list of things that were missing, well, that has 
was in this area. Yeah. And yeah, basically just from that found, um, okay, we're missing this, 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 this. And um, yeah, like the Eastern Betong is a really important one to bring back because they are what's called an ecosystem engineer. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's such a fancy name, but it, <laughs> it means that by having them in the landscape, it's not only helping them, it's helping the greater ecosystem. So these guys, they, they dig, they eat actually truffles. Oh, good. Yeah. So they dig probably about like <laughs> five centimeters down in the ground. And by doing this, it's actually aerating the soil. So for over a hundred years, we had... Um, sheep on here with hard hooves compacting the soil making it really difficult for native plants to grow and also um, causing things like erosion Um, so the fact that the betongs and other digging animals like echidnas are in this landscape digging around they're helping aerate that soil and um, restoring the soil health and obviously if you've got healthy soil you have healthier plants Mm. Um, so it's kind of connected in that way but the other way that they're classified as an ecosystem engineer is because they eat those truffles and these truffles actually have a um, what's called symbiotic relationship Mm. with eucalyptus trees so basically the tree helps the truffle and the truffle helps the tree so when the betongs are going around digging them up they're like getting the spores all all over their big old whiskers (laughs) and when they're moving around sticking their nose into new places they're spreading the spores elsewhere so they're helping disperse the truffles but also the spores don't break down in their bellies so is there pooping everywhere? They're <laughs> yeah. also spreading truffles in that way. Mm. So that's kind of the main reason why we brought the eastern betong back into the landscape first because they, they do so much good work for the greater landscape. But mm. as I said, we are like there's so many missing pieces, so we're just trying to work through that list and see um, what's the next best animal to bring in. Absolutely. Yeah. So news has broken recently about a kangaroo call beginning in Mulligan's Flat, amongst other locations. Over 1,500 eastern greys will be humanely culled from six different reserves throughout the ACT. Tell me why there's been a lot of controversy around this and give me your opinions on the matter. Look, it is a kangaroo cull. It's called the Kangaroo Management Project. It's been uh, been going for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, there are 1,500 kangaroos that are uh, on, on the list to be killed, which is actually down from last year, I, I believe. And um, it's actually being rolled out in less reserves in the ACT than in previous years because the data suggests that in some reserves that it was uh, it was carried out in, Previously, there's no need for it. Okay. Um, so it's not just the uh, people aren't just going out there and, and, and killing 1,500 kangaroos all over the ACT. It is targeted in areas that they that they they're needed. Um, but look, kangaroos are grazers. They they do do a lot of damage to uh, the undergrowth to, to to the grass, which is always which is going to provide really good cover for small invertebrates, small mammals. Um, of course, the flora itself, if it's overgrazed, potentially it's not going to bounce back as as well as you want it to. But the reason being, uh, as urbanisation has spread out, they've become fixed water sources. Mm. Um, with with clearing, there have become better grasslands. Really, urbanisation and agriculture have created a really kind of perfect spot for them to reproduce Hmm. and they do have kind of a boom and bust uh, population when times are really good there will be there can be up to 17 18 million eastern gray kangaroos uh, all over australia and when times are really bad that number can dip down to five million so when conditions are good they do well and we've created artificial conditions for them to do really well Um, so that's kind of i think in my opinion why there is a need for it there are too many and as a result, they're doing a lot of damage to the ground. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Did you have any opinions on that one, Millie? Yeah. Well, Henry, can I ask you what eats a kangaroo? What eats a kangaroo? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously we do, <laughs> um, but it was dingoes. Oh. So previously, before they were dingoes, it was the Tasmanian tiger, which was on the mainland as well. Um, and how many dingoes do you see around here? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, not many dingoes. Yeah. yeah. So we also have removed their major predator, mm, which was keeping yeah. their numbers in check. So because of all the things that we've done, as Andy's mentioned, we kind of have to take that top predator role. And um, I was pleased to see, so I should probably mention that we work for the Woodlands and Wetlands Trust. Um, we don't work for the ACT government, so we actually don't have anything to do with the culls. Um, mm-hmm. They just occur in these reserves that we um, are partnered That's with. Right. So we know when they're happening, obviously, and things like that. And we understand from all the research that's gone um, that it, it really makes a difference to the diversity of, um, as Andy was saying, small mammals and reptiles sure. by having less kangaroos around. And yeah, no one wants to go around killing kangaroos. Well, Maybe some people do, <laughs> sure. but I'm sure like not most people who are doing it don't want to be doing it. It's just a, it's a management tool and um, by removing a lot of the, the grazing pressure, it can help so many other species. Because hmm. ultimately it's about restoration and preservation. That's right. right. It's and about balance, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And like Millie was saying, they're all puzzle pieces and we're, mm-hmm. trying, to, we're trying to finish that puzzle <laughs> and yeah. this is just another one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The... The importance of that, of maintaining woodland habitats, it's something that cannot be understated. But as people who engage with it every day, can you try and summarize just what the environment means to you? Yeah. Um, no, that's a banger of a question. Yeah. <laughs> that's a huge one. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, the environment to me uh, is it's everything, isn't it? Um, when, when you come out here and you're standing in Mulligan's Flat Woodland Sanctuary and uh, you're standing in a critically endangered box gum grassy woodland. 95% of it has been destroyed mm. by, by European uh, settlement and, and, and clearing. It really hits home just how fragile everything is in that uh, this is an entire ecosystem. And if we hadn't realized how much of it was gone, all of it would be gone and we mm. wouldn't have known it was gone. You know, there are entire species out there and subspecies that we had no idea existed until uh, we looked at genetics and they were already extinct wiped off the face of the planet and uh yeah again like we didn't know that they existed until they were gone and i just think that the fragility of nature is um something that we really need to uh pay more attention to Mm. i guess for me personally i um i feel most calm in nature it's just something nice about being connected to a a bigger thing and kind of helps me get out of my own head which is nice (laughs) Um, but yeah, we are really lucky in the ACT that we do have so many reserves all across the ACT. You could basically drive 10 minutes and be in a nature reserve. Yeah. Um, some of them are as intact and as beautiful as Mulligan's Flat and some are like our sister site, Jerobomber <laughs> Wetlands, that was Canberra's first tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's still beautiful at Jerobomber Wetlands. Um, yeah. yeah, I think uh, as Andy was saying, like, um, just being around like, you know, these enormous old trees that mm. 200, 300 years old that support, you know, maybe a family of parrots, family of possums, um, a bunch of invertebrates under, underneath in the leaf litter. All the way down to the truffles, really, yeah, right? Yeah, down to the truffles. <laughs> That's what you think about. And then, you know, the little fairy wrens on top eating all the insects that are on the leaves. <laughs> mm. Like it's just, it kind of puts it in a context where you go, okay, we're all part of something a little bit bigger than what's going on in our own lives. And um, yeah, I think it's really important that we are 
doing what we can to protect it. And, you know, it's really easy to get bogged down in, mm. like, the shit that's happening <laughs> <laughs> um, to the environment. Like, uh, you know, especially, you know, we're hearing so much negative stuff coming out about climate change. And, yes, of course, it's happening. We're seeing it happen, especially in Australia. Um, but there are so many positive stories as well. And if you come to Mulligan's flat, <laughs> you will be able to like see the difference that's being made. And that's because people are doing that because they want to do it. They want to care yeah. for it. And it's not just people like Andy and me, you know, we've got 15 year old students who are coming volunteering on their weekends, or we've got 80 year old um, ex-scientists who are waiting in here for the fun on, of it on a Wednesday morning. Like it's, it's, it's really you both to recommend to me a hidden gem of a location in the city and to sell to me why I should go visit it. Okay, um, I'm going to go first because I've thought about this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously I like work walking in the bush. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, <laughs> and recently I've discovered a reserve that I haven't visited um, called, uh, I think it's just Mount Muggamugga Reserve. Okay. So I live um, south side. So often I'll be driving over Hindmarsh and, and going past Mount Muggamugga and Red Hill kind of towards from Woden towards Fishwick. Yep. I'm just making the hand gestures <laughs> here so you all know where I'm driving. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and one day I was driving over Hindmarsh and I went, oh, I've never been there. I'm going to go for a walk there. Yeah, why not? And um, after about five minutes less than five minutes i found this species of spider that i've been looking for since questicon questicon started he was just the red-headed oh. mouse spider just like oh, oh, yeah. oh my god a gorgeous I, spider i lost my mind i was so excited <laughs> um and then i left him alone and then i went for this gorgeous walk amongst these really beautiful old um yellow box and um red gum trees so that was awesome so mount Muggamugga reserve oh, can good. recommend great one andy all right, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay, all right. Because <laughs> I'm going to throw out Jarrah Rumble Wetlands name again. Uh, look, it, it is a site that uh, we um, operate on, um, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty much in the city. It's just out of Fishwick. Right. And uh, I am stunned that nobody knows about it, what it is, what happens there. Um, we get about 140 different bird species through through Jarrah Rumble oh, wow. Wetlands. Um, at any given time of the year, we have migratory birds coming through, like uh, the Latham snipe, which uh, travels down from uh, Hokkaido in Japan once a year, all the way down through eastern Australia and into Victoria. Mm. Um, that's it's immense, and people yeah, people come to Jarrah Wetlands to see it. Um, yeah, and look, um, you, you can come out there and you can go bird watching. Um, of those, I think we get what, 800 bird species in Australia. Yeah. Um, and to be able to see 150 of them <laughs> at Jerubble Wetlands, if, if, if you're lucky and you spend enough time there, that's pretty significant. Um, yeah, so it's practically in the city. You know, it's a, it's a 15 minute drive out of the city. There's this beautiful novel ecosystem for people to check out. So 100% check out Jerubble Wetlands. Lots Absolutely. of Rikali there too. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Lots of Rikali. Lots of the, um, and look, I mean, even like if even if you're not into um 
the whole nature aspect of it. I don't know why you wouldn't be, but if you yeah, weren't, um, there's actually a World War One training trench system out there, which oh, is damn. incredible, right? Yeah. I mean, like that's just, that's another little hidden gem, hidden in the hidden gem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you're just get oh, out check it out. Look at that. Um, so we actually recently uh, released a, a, a guided tour on an app. So if you if you look for Jerobumble Wetlands in the App Store, I think both Android and iOS. Um, We've got narrated walks around Kelly Swamp, uh, around the, the Woodland Walk, uh, and around the uh, the uh, World War One trench system. So, please go down there and check it out. You can go down there twenty four seven. It's it's all open. Is it your voice doing the narration? Yes. Doing the trench tour? Yes. Yeah. So, oh, there you go. Get hear, used to that. Yeah, yeah. it is silky smooth voice. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the other two, we've got uh, one of our amazing outreach officers, Mel. Um, she's done the voiceover for those. So big big props to her for that. Brilliant. We do also have an app for Mulligan's Flat as well if people yeah, wanted sure. to do the audio tour here as well. Just Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> well, let's look forward a little bit. What does the future hold for Andy, for Millie, and for the Mulligan's Flat Woolen Sanctuary? Oh, boy. Mm, that's, that's a really a, good question. That's a, <laughs> a huge question because we have a lot on our plate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think in the immediate future, the number one thing is uh, opening up uh, our new learning center, the Wild Bark Learning Center. Oh, cool. um, that's uh, at about 50% built at the moment as, mm-hmm. of, as of this recording. We're hoping to have it open by the end of 2021 at some point. Wow. Um, so definitely check out the Wild Bark Learning Center. Um, most of our operations are going to move out there. It's going to have an amazing food and beverage experience um, to go with the tours. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to meet some of the animals we've done reintroductions oh, nice. with. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, in, in sort of a different context. I think that is going to be really, really cool. Mm. I, I guess for me, after doing that, or as well as doing that, mm. um, I'll be working on some potential future animal reintroductions. Nice. So a little mystery. Oh, that's it. That. Keep an eye out on the, <laughs> on the more, more uh, the animals coming in. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and lastly, the floor is yours, my friends. Do you have any final messages you'd like to say to our listeners? Um, yeah, I think just carrying on from what Millie said um, about being able to come out into the woodlands and uh, how good it is for your mental health. I mm. think uh, a lot of the stories that we tell out here and a lot of the work that we do is designed to inspire hope, sort of, yeah, in a, in a climate where it is really easy to sit there on Facebook and watch the news and uh, just end up depressed, you know. <laughs> when you see David Attenborough jump up there and say it's too late for mm. climate change and stuff like that, I mean, I'd hate to I'd hate to be a, a student or a young person growing up right now and thinking that there's no future. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is really good work happening, and you can come out here and practically be a hundred years back in time with these animals that have been lost from the landscape mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's not hopeless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's that's the thing that I really want to get across to people. Oh, I don't think I've got anything to add on that. Fair <laughs> enough. We'll, 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 we'll leave it there. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, Andy, Millie, thank you both for this chat. My name is Henry, and from the Mulligan's Flat Woodland Sanctuary in Canberra, this has been Conversations in the Capital. Stay safe, be kind, and we'll see you soon. Talking about stuff, talking about things, talking about you, talking about me, it's not a whole country. And we are celebrating, it is Canberra. Conversations in the Capital.
you were to fill up a Hall of Fame titled Underrated Animals, <laughs> what would be the first ballot? Uh, I, my number one pick's got to go to the uh, Rakali, the native Australian water rat. Gorgeous little creatures. I think um, a lot of people throw them in there with pests and vermin, um, but they have a really important uh, part to play in uh, the ecosystem. They fill their niche perfectly. Mm. Um, you know, they're up there. They're as iconic to me as a platypus. Right. You know, I, I think they're amazing. They're Australia's otter. Well, yeah. <laughs> people do say that, don't they? Yeah, it's controversial. Hey. <laughs> controversial. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're trying to like come up here. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. They're, they're Australia's otter. Yeah, that's absolutely. right. They're so charismatic. And they've got webbed feet. They've got big whiskers. Yeah. They've got a big thick tail. Like an otter. Yeah. Man, you're a better spokesman for them than I am. 